-hmm. And people always, you know, when we talk about like anorexia, these are, you know, full on eating disorders, right? But I always say there's a spectrum because first of all, you do not have to be like in a certain body size to be struggling with an eating disorder, disordered thinking around food, disordered behaviors around food. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it's a pleasure as always to have you here listening. Whether you're new or an OG, it goes a long way, you know, knowing that there's a community of some phenomenal human beings listening to these episodes every week or every other week. And yeah, I just, I wish I could meet more of you and hopefully someday that will happen. But until then, know that it's much love, much gratitude for you all. Now, today we have a very good episode. It's, I'll give a bit of backstory in a moment, but Sosh Adelstan is just such a ray of light and just someone I admire so much. Uh, We met a few years ago at an almost 30 retreat, actually, in Malibu, and we had a few conversations. You know, I kind of thought like, oh, like, I I like this woman, you know, she's, she's really neat. Fast forward to now, like, I don't know, two, two and a half years later, and a few months ago, I found her again on Instagram. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. You know, I I forget how I found her, but I saw that she was doing all this work with uh, food freedom and body image and just helping people find, you know, like freedom and work towards recovery. And it was so neat to find something so aligned with, you know, my own beliefs and what I try to put out into the world. And So we connected again, and I'm horrible at scheduling, but we eventually got it scheduled, and here we are. So it's a really neat convo on the basis of it is why are we drawn to diet culture, and what impact does diet culture and disordered eating and disordered thoughts around food, body image, and all of that, what does that do to us as a human? What does it do to our mind? You know, and we really discuss the roots and body image and this desire to change ourselves or to be something other than what we are and just really like the spiral it can go down when you fall into diet culture. So it's a really neat perspective from both her end and my end. We both share bits of our stories, but it's very aligned with the big picture view of this show and with many of you probably listening. And as you all know, like this healing recovery process is a journey. It's not like a quick little run through the park. You know, it's, I guess, like a marathon would be a better way to compare it in that sense. But, you know, I always try to be open with my own experience with it. And I know so many amazing souls out there on the internet do as well. But I just think that's only fair, right? Because I used to get, and I still, (laughs) I still get in my head about how long it, it's taking me. Or I should have accomplished or been over these fear foods or I should have been done with this by by now, right? It's just like bringing that fucking comparison game into yet another aspect of life because, you know, why not, right? (laughs) And like the reality is and something I always try to remind myself is that this process takes time. 
work, patience, and self-compassion. As a few previous guests have described, the recovery process is like a fucking roller coaster. You have highs and lows and it goes on. It's not this one line. It's not a one and done. It's not a, oh, I started here and I will end here. I'll be better by this X. No, 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 no. That's not how life works. That's you trying to control the situation, which is why many of us fall into disordered eating in the first place. So be mindful of that. But anyway, you know, it's just for me, it's this idea of, right, I'll be perfectly fine in regards to my recovery journey. And then one week of crazy chaos, such as the end of June, and it makes me feel so out of control and I just start grasping for things and it lets my, it's like my guard is down and then it lets old thoughts, old habits intrude my peace. This doesn't mean that I'm at a setback or that I'm falling back into it. I think this is just human. This is a reaction. This is our brain and our body attempting to weed out all the remaining roots of diet culture. This is a little analogy I thought of, right? But you'll know like how tricky weeds are, right? You have a big area, you pull all the weeds out, you try to get as many roots as you can, but you miss one little fucking root and suddenly it pops up again and you have like two to three weeds and you're like, oh, so you get back in there with your little shovel, trevel, whatever you call it, and you pull the weed out, you get the roots out. And then, you know, like it's, it's there, it's isolated. You're able to properly get out that root system in the weed because it's isolated. It's not this whole expanse of weeds. It's just this little, little section, this little pop-up, you know, and the same goes for recovery. When you're deep in the weeds, in the thick of it, of disordered eating and eating disorder, any of this, the weeds are everywhere. They are covering the entire landscape of your mind. And so it's hard to distinguish when they're popping up. It's hard to get them out. It's hard to have peace and to properly grow when everything's covered by weeds and it's sucking out all the nutrients and the fun of life. (laughs) But when you start to weed out diet culture day by day, as you do the recovery work, as you do the self-discovery, as you do the self-work to really find that freedom, as you start to pull the weeds out, you know, slowly that landscape clears out. And so then when these little moments, like what happened to me at the end of June, when I had these moments of old thoughts, old habits, old whatever triggering me, it was just little pop-ups. It was little spurts of weeds on the landscape of my mind. And I was able to immediately, like if I could snap right now, I'd snap right now, (laughs) like my fingers. Immediately, I was able to identify and see like, this is an old thought, this is an old habit. And ultimately, it's a choice. Do I engage with it or do I not? Do I let myself behave this way around food and body or do I fight against it? You know, do I, instead of letting that weed grow for another day or two, do I grab my shovel and just stab that thing, you know, yank the weeds and the roots right out of that landscape, which do I do? And so what I'm trying to get here is that recovery is a process. It is a journey, but it is about continually doing the work. Weeds are relentless. They will try again and again, and they will succeed again and again and popping up in your landscape. That's diet culture. But you have the shovel, you have the tools, you have the awareness to fight back and to really keep working towards freedom and to have the, a clear landscape of a mind where you can plant your own fucking flowers. We don't need no weeds taking up that space. And so just remember that. And I mean, I don't know if any of that made sense to you. It made a lot of sense to me. And I was quite proud of myself for thinking of that on the fly this morning. But let me know your thoughts. (laughs) Maybe I'll do an IG post that describes it a bit better, but who knows. 
But anyway, yeah, I just wanted you to, I wanted to put that out there and maybe have it be a little reminder as you move forward in the process or you're there for someone else who is. And I think this convo with Soch is a great reminder of all the sneaky ways that diet culture and those weeds can impact us. And a prime example of that recovery is also a possible. It is there for you. So let us know if you listen. We would love to connect and hear your thoughts. I'll have all of our Instagram accounts linked below as well as any other way to connect, work with us, etc. And as usual, if you enjoy the show, it means so, so, so very much if you could share it with a friend, whether in real life or on social media, if you share it on your stories and give it a tag, DM me on Instagram, leave a rate and review, whatever you want to do. That was a little rhymey rhyme there. Whatever you want to do, it really supports the show. It makes my heart happy and it's a way for us to connect. Then I'm able to see like, oh, so-and-so listens to the show. Let's have a convo. I will always chat. I will always chat it up with y'all. So please, 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 let's connect. But without further ado, I'll quit the rambling and let y'all get started in this episode. Okay, well, to start out, my, my first question for you is just, why do you think so many of us are drawn towards diets and diet culture? And I'd love to hear a bit of, you know, maybe even your experience in the same field of, you know, going towards a diet and the diet culture and just how we can kind of explain those to people. Yeah, totally. So I always just like to start with my story. I grew up in an Orthodox Hasidic community in Brooklyn, and I was pretty much separated from any outside media. So we didn't grow up with things like, you know, radios or non-Jewish music or um, like TV or magazines or anything like that. However, when I turned 13, I did not want to be covered. Like I was always kind of interested in fashion and I wanted to like see what was on the outside, on the outside. And so my way of rebelling was I would go to, I grew up in Brooklyn and I would go to the mall and buy fashion magazines like Elle Vogue, Vanity Fair. And of course, like when I opened up these magazines and saw like six feet tall, beautiful, thin white women, I was just like, Uh, they signify beauty and freedom and empowerment to me. And I didn't have that growing up. So I wanted to be just like them. And so I would, I always say, you know, for a lot of people that get into dieting, that's oftentimes the end, like the last resort of having intense body image issues for many years. There's a lot of, most people, most women, if you walk into a room and you say, Hey, who likes their body in here, whether they're dieting or not, a hundred percent of people will be like, not me. Right. But you know, a, a smaller percentage of those people might go on to diet. And that was, my story. That's how it kind of played out for me. And so I spent a lot of my teenage years just hating my body and feeling really unbeautiful. And my boobs were really big. And back then, like, you know, they, they would make clothes for people with plastic big boobs, but not actually like real big boobs. Right. And so I always had to be in these like clothes that didn't feel like me. I just felt really weird in my body. And, um, 
Yeah. I, when I was 17, my mom, as I said, I grew up in a Hasidic community and my mom disowned me at 17. And that was a massive trauma for me. And so I moved out of my house. And when I was, by the time I was 19, I was working in the city. I was working actually like near Park Avenue in a kitchen and bath showroom. And um, we used to have these parties with like a lot of food and people would gather. And it was actually like a pretty good time for me. However, at one of these parties, uh, somebody happened to take a photo of me. And back then, I don't know how old you are, but back then that was like when digital cameras were first coming into the scene. And a few weeks later, they were showing me this photo of myself at this party. And I looked at this photo of myself and I was like, oh, hell no. And that night I went home and I researched dieting. And at the time the Atkins diet was in and I ended up going on this diet. And within the first two weeks, I lost a lot of weight and everybody started commenting on my body like, Hey, you lost so much weight. You look so beautiful. And, uh, after two weeks, I was sitting in my apartment in Brooklyn on Saturday night. And I got this really intense craving for sugar and carbohydrates. And I went downstairs to the bodega. I don't know. Do they have bodegas in Austin or it's not like that? I'm not sure. I, no. I'm so, I've hardly toured this toward the city okay. <laughs> or gotten out, but I'm sure somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So in Brooklyn, that's like a thing. That's where you go to get like your munchies and like your, you know, chips and, and Entermans, you know, cakes and cookies and ices and all that. So I go downstairs to the bodega and I go up and down every single aisle and I put, you know, cakes and cookies and chocolate and all this stuff in my cart. And I took it back upstairs to my apartment and I ate everything probably within 30 minutes. And just for frame of reference, because I think this is important for people to understand and know, I'm a little different um, than a lot of the clients I work with in the sense that my mo my mother's mother actually struggled with binge eating disorder. And so when we were growing up, my mom never, ever made comments about my body and she never dieted. Like there was no, you know, a lot of the people I work with have mothers that diet and therefore they learn how to diet from their mothers. But for me, I simply learned it from media and dieting. Mm -hmm. And so I ate everything within you know, 30 minutes and I felt super ashamed and guilty and just so mad at myself for breaking my diet. And from 19 to 25 for the next six years of my life, I call it the dark ages. I struggled tremendously with binge eating and feeling super out of control near food and feeling so ashamed about my behaviors. I was addicted to exercise. So I would binge and then, you know, erase what had happened. And, um, I pretty much was on every single diet you could literally ever imagine. I tried everything. And at the end of the six years, I was, I had moved to Boulder, Colorado from New York city. And, you know, I was like, okay, if I move to an, a new place, this will go away. But as you know, wherever you go, there you are. And my binge eating just got more and more frequent and out of control. And I would just look into the mirror and be completely appalled and disgusted with myself. I hated myself. 
And I thought I was the biggest loser in the world. And uh, I was out hiking one day and I fell and broke my ankle. And the doctor was like, you cannot move for the next five weeks because if you move, you're on your way to surgery. And a few days later, I had what I like to call rock bottom. And I just started praying and crying my eyes out. And I just said, like, I, if I have to continue going on like this, I refuse. And take me, take my life, do something, but I cannot continue living like this with food, with my body, with the weight fluctuations and all that. And a few days later, I started uh, a lot of intensive therapy around food. And it was the first time I actually, I should say that a few days later, I happened to be talking to this woman who worked at an outpatient center. And she said, I I remember that you know, 10, 11 years ago, there was no language for binge eating. It was simply, you had no control around food. There was nothing. So I said to her, you know, Hey, I'm doing this weird stuff with food. She said, I think you have an eating disorder. And I was like, okay. And next week I was in outpatient center and treating my eating disorder. And, um, they were the first people that said, Hey, they laid it out for me pretty clear. They said, Hey, you can either continue dieting and this is at the root of your binge eating, or you can quit dieting forever. And we don't know what's going to happen with your body size, but you'll certainly have peace with food. And I was like, done deal. Now I can't say the road was easy to get there. However, Within five months, I stopped binge eating and that was 11 years ago. And I've never had the same issues with food or my body since. Um, Truly, like I've never had those insane binges in my life since then. Um, And so at the time I was actually in nutrition school to become a certified uh, holistic health coach. And all they were doing at the school was just teaching me more dieting and more at the, you know, now we call it, now I call it wellness culture, but at the time it was just all the same stuff. And so I started talking to women I said, Hey, how's your relationship with food? And I realized that everyone had a really complicated story and that more people than I ever knew had struggled with binge eating or disordered eating or disordered thinking around food or you know, negative perceptions around their own bodies. And I just knew, okay, this is how I'm going to help people. And so today I feel so honored to say that I've helped hundreds of women heal their relationship with food through the practice of intuitive eating and health at every size. And I, you know, it's my biggest passion. It's how I serve this world. And that is how I got into this work. And you know, I think with just going back to your question about dieting, I think that, you know, we live in what I like to call thin centric world. And in our society, being thin is just better over everything else. For women or for people that identify as women more than men, it's very much like hey, if you're thin and you're beautiful, then you matter and you're worth something. And for anyone that doesn't fit into that box, which FYI, nobody fits into that box, they end up being sort of the outcasts of society. And there's a lot of trauma that happens. And so it makes sense that we all 
you know, as people, we're all always going to want to be part of a tribe, right? And the tribe is diet culture. The tribe is wanting to be thin. So we're loved and we feel worth it. And it's incredibly deep rooted. And I would say even 11 years later, even though I've healed my relationship with food and helped so many others, we still continue to do body image work every single day because diet culture, it it lives everywhere and it breathes into every part of our existence. And yeah, that is, that's why people go to dieting. I thank you for sharing. That was truly phenomenal just to hear all the, you know, all the things along the way and how they happened. And I found it especially interesting that you said your start into it all, right, was these fashion magazines. And it was just sort of like this outside influence coming in. And I think that's very interesting because as you said, every person, every other person I've talked to on this show has had people in their close life, close circle that like they essentially grew up watching diets, right? And, right, and watching the body image talk and all of that stuff. And so it's always been discussions around the combination, right, of what you're growing up with, as well as the external influence coming in. But your situation is so unique in that sense of like, you didn't see that portrayed you necessarily by people close to you. And that just goes to show how strong the influence of the, like this society and this diet culture truly is. And then you pair that with most people that struggle with people in their life dieting. And like, no wonder so many of us are exposed to this and then drawn into it and then struggle with it for so long. Totally. I mean, I always say, listen, I'm a mother, I have Mm -hmm. almost four year old daughter. And no matter how much we do not diet in this house, we do not talk about good food, bad food. I know that when she turns 10 or 11, diet culture is going to be there right in her face waiting. Right. So part of it is what I have to offer her. And part of it is just helping her understand what diet culture actually is so that she can look at it and go, oh, that's really silly, right? Because there's some people who it doesn't puncture, right? And when they are like, you know, I have some of my sisters, like they, they don't understand it at all. And they're like, why would you not eat? Food is so good, (laughs) right? Of course, I feel that way now too. There's no, um, there's no body size that could ever make me restrict again. Right. But they just don't get it. It doesn't appeal to them. Right. So I hope that that's the case with my child, but I think that, you know, either way, it's really like society wants you to fall into the trap. And, you know, I think we start giving the messages to little girls as early as three, because it's not like my child hasn't said anything to me. That's been slightly jarring. Like, Hey, where'd you learn that from? Where'd you hear that from? So yeah. And I, I think it's also like on that note, right. Some people might not be aware of the more, you know, focused areas of disordered eating and diet culture, right. Of like restricting food, uh, things like that. But there are so many sneaky ways that it can, you know, develop and show up in your life. And I think that, right. Like just doing whatever we can to raise awareness around that is just such a beneficial. I mean, I had a friend I went home a few weeks ago and they were telling me about, you know, like there's some stuff they've been working through and they're like, yeah, like, thankfully, you know, I love food too much to not eat, but you know, and then they went on to list like three things they were doing that I was just like, Ooh, 
red flag, red flag, red flag. You know, like there are these sneaky ways that diet culture can be portrayed as just probably what you were referring to earlier, wellness culture, health. And I mean, you know, I struggled with orthorexia and still working through that. And there are just so many sneaky ways that it can show up. And anything we can do to raise awareness around that is just so crucial. Cause like you said, it can, once you're aware of it, then you're a lot less likely to blindly follow, fall into it or to blindly follow the tribe. You just need that spark to really ignite, you know, like your own internal sort of thoughts, intuition, uh, pull towards, you know, away, away from that culture, so to speak. Yeah, totally. How did you, can I ask you about your Mm -hmm. orthorexia? Because I don't even know that much about it. Like, so you struggled with orthorexia and how did you, like what motivated you to heal your relationship with food? Yeah. I mean, it's, for me, it took a while to really even understand I was in it, but what really showed me that I was struggling with it was, um, actually like podcasts. And I was, I just gotten on Instagram, like in the wellness scene. And there were a few select, you know, um, just like ED compassionate RDs or just these, you know, amazing people fighting for awareness and everything around eating disorders. And the term orthorexia started to pop up and I'd hear about what it was and they would list like characteristics of it and thoughts and habits you might have, or, you know, do in that sense of orthorexia. And every single thing, I was just like, that's me, that's me, that's me, you know? And I had thought for the longest time that I had recovered. And in some ways I had recovered from, you know, being diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, but it was just a whole new beast, right? Like it went from me being obsessed with like the, the thinness and all those and restricting food and all that. And it shifted to like, oh, I'm eating. Oh, I'm exercising. Oh, like my body's not, it doesn't look like I'm disordered but I'm obsessing over food. I'm obsessed with clean ingredients and I'm labeling things and I'm body checking and I'm afraid to go past this certain weight. And like all these little sneaky things that I hadn't even realized could be disordered. I just thought they were healthy. And so it was really, yeah, just like exposure awareness that made me think about it. And then I did work one-on-one with a RD that was just sort of, you know, educated in the ED space. And she just really helped me accept, you know, that this was something I was struggling with and to accept the fact like it's okay to accept that and to start working on it. And so that's how I really started. And that was about two months or two years ago, <laughs> two months. <laughs> it was about, yeah. Wow. <laughs> what, what do you mean? And that was about two, two and a half years ago. And yeah, I mean, it's an ongoing process, you know, there's a lot to uncover there, but yeah. Totally. I think that, you know, that makes me so happy about the movement because back when I was like struggling with my binge eating for six years, like I said, there was no language around it. It was like, oh, you're gross. You do this thing and hiding. And then there's a bunch of wrappers and sometimes I would eat out of garbage. And, and I think going back to even what you said, you're like, I, when you started to unpack it, you realize like, oh, you were obsessing about food. And the thing is, that's a symptom, that's a side effect of struggling with restriction. Mm -hmm. And people always, you know, when we talk about like anorexia, these are, you know, full on eating disorders, right? But I always say there's a spectrum because first of all, you do not have to be like in a certain body size to be struggling with an eating disorder, disordered thinking around food, disordered behaviors around food. So 
if you're doing things like obsessing about food or you're terrified of your own body size, or, you know, you struggle with feeling out of control around sugar or carbohydrates, um, which is a lot of what people binge on, a lot of the foods that people binge on, then that's a problem, right? No shame there at all, but you deserve to heal your relationship with food. You deserve to make peace with food, no matter what body size you are. Right. And, and with that, I think it's also overlooked. Everyone knows a physical restriction. You know, I think that's something that's much, you know, commonly accepted and seen, but there's this aspect of emotional restriction as well with specific foods or, and I think, right, that could be something where like that feeling of guilt comes into the picture or that feeling of, or that labeling sensation of good and bad foods. And I'm curious, like in your, like in your time with the binge eating, was it purely like the physical restriction or do you think there was the emotional restriction aspect in there as well? Oh my gosh. It was, it consumed my entire life. I was ridden with guilt, shame, self-deprecation, self-sabotaging thoughts and mindset. This is a lot of what I do in my one-on-one coaching program, because I do believe once you heal your relationship with food, you also have to get rid of negative perceptions around food. Right. Mm. And, you know, that is really working on your guilt and really working on your shame and self-sabotaging behaviors in the, when you're dieting, they're actually there to protect you, right? The reason why you quote unquote, and I have my hands up, hands in quote position. The reason why you uh, self-sabotage with food is because it's there to protect you because your body actually needs that food. But then oftentimes once our bodies are getting enough food, once we start to make peace with it, people can often still have those self-sabotaging behaviors around food. And, and, some of what I have done myself and I've helped other people do is get rid of that because it's a lie. It's not true. And I think also over time, you know, your, your, your brain goes through such a thing, such a trauma when you're so restrictive around food. So it can take, you know, two, three years until your brain, I mean, it can take shorter, but it can work almost right away. But in, in the bigger scheme of things, it can take two to three years for your brain to really start to trust and relax around food so that it becomes much more neutral. But I don't know if you experienced this, like, you know, the first first year, two years of recovery, it's, you have to use your cognition. You have to challenge your ways of thinking. You have to sometimes, uh, you know, eat the food, even though there's voices and sensations telling you not to eat the food. Right. And then it gets easier over time, but, um, you know, those, those negative ways in which we see food and view food can be uh, eliminated if we understand that they're there. Yeah, no. And I, I think I always think back to, right. If anyone, when you're starting a diet or any of that, like lifestyle living and like in the beginning, right. Nobody's making those transitions super easily. We do it over time. We have continued, you know, sources of (laughs) external influence telling us to stick with it, do this, blah, blah, blah. And so it becomes that habit and the behavior and the thought process rooted in our beings. And so of course, like to break, to undo that more so, like it's also going to take the work of actively, yeah, actively choosing and actively working against those prior, just 
built in thoughts and habits and behaviors and all of it. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think I shared this, but on my, on a previous episode, but a while ago, right. I was, I was working through the fear foods and I was like, okay, like I want to start just having more bread, you know, like bread in my life, like sandwiches, whatever it is, toast, etc. And in the beginning, it was like, I had to continually actively let myself be right. And just be like, you can eat the bread. You can eat the bread. You can have bread every day this week if you want, you know, and it was like an active work. And then it was so funny. Like the other day, I just kind of, oh, my, my loaf of bread was gone. I was like, what the fuck? Like, where'd all the bread go? And I was like, wow, like I didn't even realize it, but like, I've been eating sandwiches for like almost like a week and a half, two weeks straight. And I fucking love that. I'm in such a sandwich mood right now. And it was just such a funny feeling of like now versus then and how then it was such an act of choosing and letting myself and working through like old voices telling me to not eat that. And then now to just not think about it, you know, and eat a sandwich at like midnight after work or whatever it is. And so it's just, it's neat to also, yeah, to be aware of that. And then I think along the way too, right? Like, I don't know, celebrate those wins, you know, like be aware of the wins you do and the the progression you make because ultimately like this recovery process can be a long road, but if you take time and build the awareness to celebrate those small wins along the way, like it just, it helps reaffirm of like, you've got this, like, you know, you're doing it, you're doing the thing. <laughs> totally. You know, I always tell clients, I say, when we, when we begin the program and we start talking about food, I always tell the clients, like, let's put weight loss aside because when you start to take weight loss out of your relationship with your health and your body and your food, things can become a lot more clear and cravings can become a lot more defined, right? Because it's not the driving force, which weight loss can cloud fucking everything. Um, and you know, oftentimes then it's like, we can see the wins so much more. Like I, I remember in my, I think it was like a few months into recovery, you know, I had been doing a lot better and it was really like the first time in six years that I started to see the light, I would say. And I, I wouldn't say I was binge free at that point, but I was definitely, it was like getting less. And I had had experiences with sugar where I could eat some and then stop. And that was, that was just so major for me because every time in the last six years that I had put sugar into my mouth, it was just a total nightmare where I felt so sick and so out of control. And you know, I had this one weekend where I binged and I went into the meeting the next day and I was just like crying so hard. And I'm like, I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get it. And then they were like, you've been, you know, they, they helped remind me that like dieting makes you think so black and white about food. And it makes you think so black and white about life too. And then when you have these you know, you start, you put sugar into your mouth. You're like, oh, well, may as well start over again tomorrow. Right. Or in my case, it was like, I had gone some time without binge eating and like having a lot of success, but then I binged and was like, oh, well, I'm never going to recover. And that was another thing I learned in, in making peace with food is that I made a lot of peace with my life. And the fact that things are, you know, messy and bumpy as human beings and, we can, 
think in black and white and think, okay, this is it. It's going to take me down or just kind of roll with the punches. And that's truly how you can make peace with food is not to catastrophize the, I don't even want to say imperfections, but your humanness around food, right? Like I always say to clients, humans need bread. Mm -hmm. Humans need sugar. Humans need to have pleasure with food. It's very normal for a human being to like eat a chocolate croissant and be like, this is so good. I don't want to stop. That's your humanness, right? Do you want to like go through life fighting it? Or do you want to go through life being like, hey, I might not have the thinnest or quote unquote, the healthiest body if we're just thinking about nutrients, but this is really valuable to me in other ways. Right. And I think for me personally, and I don't know, like if you've had like your experience with like even like health struggles, so to speak, but another big moment to me was I was supposedly eating right. Perfectly fine. I should have been like by all nutrients and health standards, I should have been a perfectly fine functioning human. And yet I was like some of the sickest I'd ever been in terms of like hormone dysregulation, gut issues, thyroid issues, other things going on. And when I saw like my blood work and all this stuff come back and my nutrients, whatever, like all that shit was fine. But then all these other parts of my body were just struggling and failing in so many ways from that, just like, you know, the obsessive lifestyle and the over-exercising and all of that, that was another aha moment to me of like, life is so much more than just being the by the books, you know, (laughs) typical wellness culture standard of health, quote unquote, healthy, like there's so much more to it. And I'd rather be happy in these other ways than just so, so stuck in this pattern. And yeah, I I think that's like, that was like a big realization for me to have as well. Yeah. I always forget to mention that part too. Like when I was at my thinnest eating the healthiest, I struggled with such intense constipation, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, there's been just other like weird stuff. Like I have, you know, till this day, because of my over-exercising from many years ago, like I'm still tending to wounds from that. I feel yeah. I like, I don't want to like scare anyone, but I feel I like somehow, you know, did a lot of damage to my body in those years of really not giving my body the proper rest and just pushing myself and pushing myself these days. You know, I, I have cut down a lot on exercise. And again, I'm always reevaluating my relationship with exercise just because for me, I struggled with it in a very, very unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of walking these days, but um, you know, I think we don't talk about how restriction can have health implications for people, no matter what your body size is. So there's that too. No, truly it's, yeah, just one of the many layers of it all. And Um, kind of like shifting gears into another layer of it. And something I wanted to circle back to from your original um, intro story to this all is just how your, how this is all intersected with body image, right? In the beginning, you said that you think a lot of people do find their ways towards diet culture from the beginning of body image struggles. And I'm just curious to hear like how that has shifted with you over time. And especially in regards to what you just mentioned a bit ago about like releasing that weight mindset, right? And this is something I'm exploring lately where I'm like, how different would my body image experience be if I, 
you know, I, I just started to question like how, how much am I actually still holding on to like a specific weight set or weight range? And how is that impacting my body image? And overall, just like, you know, my self-worth. And I just think there's so much to go into it. So I'm just curious, like, how has your body image really shifted along these lines, right? Like, was that one of the first things that you saw start to improve? Was it something that came afterwards? I'm just really curious to hear like what your experience with that has been. Yeah. So interestingly enough, I just want to preface this conversation because I get messages about it all the time. And I know maybe if people go to my profile, they'll be like, what do you know? Um, Somebody just messaged me yesterday and she said, how can you talk about body image if you're so thin? Like, what do you know? So I do want to preface this conversation by saying that I am in a thin body and I have been my whole entire life, even when I was, you know, in my heaviest body, I would say. And so I speak about body image through the lens of being in a body that goes beyond body size. However, this is more of an internal experience for me because Mm -hmm. I, as a thin person, do not experience weight stigma, fat phobia, weight discrimination in our medical systems, right? That's not my lived experience. And so for people listening to this who are in a higher weight body, you have to go on social media and follow. Actually, everybody in anybody should be following these people, but especially if you want to, if you need someone that has actually had a similar experience as you being in a higher weight body, you need to follow people like Reagan Chastain, who has been teaching me about fat phobia and weight stigma in our medical system for many, many, many years. And, um, follow people in higher weight bodies and that are talking about fat phobia, because they're going to help a lot of the internalized biases that that you experience, that you feel around body size. Okay. So I I work with higher weight people all the time, but I always refer them to people that they can identify with, because I think when it comes to body image, we have to have people that we identify with. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's just what I want to preface the conversation with in my own experience, my discomfort with my body started when probably I came into this world. I was, uh, my mom gave birth to me at home by mistake and my birth story. I grew up with eight siblings and our birth, my birth story was always like, you were such a heavy baby that I never made it to the hospital and you were a 10 pounder. And like, it was, it was a story of love. However, like even as a child, I can remember feeling like this really big person um, and then when I was 10, I was sexually abused at, at my parents' house um, by this man that was staying in her house. And so, you know, I can remember at that time just feeling super out of my body. And that mixed in with magazines and media influence just was kind of a recipe for really, really bad body image. I've been through quite a bit of trauma in my life around my mother and um, where I grew up, the community I grew up in. And so for me, by the time I turned 19, I wanted to fucking crawl out of my skin. I was like, I did not choose this body. I do not like this body. I do not like what I see in the mirror. I do not like what I perceive in the mirror. And when I talk about healing my body image, right? I I'm talking about healing from that place of 
being in a human body, which I'm sure you can relate to, that does not mm-hmm. always feel good, yet how do we continue living? And that is to the lens in which I like have made the acceptance, have accepted my body. And when I talk, just going back to like your question around body image and 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 that healing journey, I first made a commitment that I was going to heal my relationship with food and whatever happened as the end result to my body size, I was absolutely willing to accept because for me, I never wanted to go back to binge eating. Like that was enough motivation for me personally, right? I know that's not everyone's experience, but, and so that helped me. And then interestingly enough, you know, by the time, and I don't, I'm not going to throw any numbers or anything like that, but by the end of the six years of my dieting journey, I was actually at the heaviest I've ever been for me personally, restriction and binge eating made me gain a lot of weight. And so, you know, over time, my body found its way to its weight and I will say, you know, more or less it is what it is, but, um, that does not mean that I still don't have days where I want to crawl out of my skin. Mm -hmm. You know, I always laugh, like people wouldn't like, I struggle with like these chronic on and off hemorrhoids. And I just, I always like want to tell, like last week, one of them came back and I was just like, I hate this. I can't stand this. This is so crappy. But it was just this moment of like being on the toilet and being like, I can either sit here in a ball and be totally traumatized because there's a lot of trauma wrapped up into that. Or I just have to be with a discomfort of that, you know? And that's what I tell people. Another thing is the more you're exposed to diet culture, the shittier you're going to feel in your body. It's a real somatic experience for people, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, another way how I feel my body image is I absolutely do not allow diet culture into my space anymore. It's not invited into my conversations. It's not invited into my family. It is not invited into my social media space, it's not invited because I want to protect my perception of myself. And the only way I can do that is to get those images and the brainwashing and the beliefs about diet culture out of my existence. And I know that might sound extreme to people, but the way that I say personally for me that I stay recovered and I do coaching work with integrity is I do not engage with diet culture in any way, shape or form. And it's helped me feel better in my body. I can't say it's perfect. I can't say there's still things that I don't have to work through. Right. But they're a lot quieter in my mind. Right. And it's about also like having the tools and knowing that you're able to process and work through those moments, like when they do come up, right? Like, I think that's another part of it that I'm slowly accepting is that even though my body image is much better now than it was prior, when days come up and I struggle, instead of letting myself spiral and think like, oh, I'm back to day one, you know, like black and white thinking. Lately, I've just been reminding myself, like, this is temporary. I know what I can do to help myself, you know, feel less of that, like itching to get out of your skin sensation. I know what I can do. And and I think also on the sense of removing diet culture from your life as much as possible, like 
that is a boundary we can all set. You know, like you said, it might seem extreme to some, but I feel like when you start to do it and you start to see the impact it has of just not seeing that shit all the time or not hearing that stuff or not engaging in those conversations, like it becomes easier and easier to then reset that boundary with new people or new situations uh, or new experiences. And I know I've, I've done that much more in the last few months and it, you know, feels odd at first, but then now it just feels very natural because it's, yeah, it's similar to you. Like there, it just comes to the point where you accept, like, I do not want any of this <laughs> in my life if I, if I can help it in any way. So uh, yeah. I think that's a very important point. Like, as you said, to kind of clear your space, so to speak. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you've realized this, but you know, when you start to see diet culture for what it is, you could never unsee it. I get texts mm-hmm. from old clients all the time being like, look at this shit, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I know. Um, but when you realize that it's there and that fat phobia is there and that weight stigma is there, it's kind of heartbreaking, you know, in the same way that racism is, right? Or uh, homophobia, right? You start mm-hmm. to become heartbroken because you realize it it sort of lives everywhere and in everything, right? But, um, and in a way in our culture, you know, it's it's always going to be painted as something that cares about your, you or that cares about your health or your wellness, you know? And it's a fucking lie because that shit doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, it doesn't, sometimes it helps people lose weight, but they're always going to gain it back 98% of the time and then some. And besides, what does it do to your mental health? What does it do to your mental well-being to be thinking about food all of the time? You know, so, and I know in your case, like you had some chronic health issues. So how did you, people ask me about that all the time, actually. So I would love to know from you, like, how do people, how did you come to terms with, okay, I'm not messing around anymore? Yeah, I mean, it, like in regards to that with like chronic health, like it was a tricky and it still is tricky at times to navigate, right? Because you have the two sides of, you know, it it could be very easy to kind of fall back into old mindsets, old habits of doing everything I can, right? To just like heal this chronic condition and hopefully physically feel the best I can. But then there came a point along the way when I started doing that, where I was like, okay, like, yes, but my mental health is going to shit, right? Like it was the first time I started to really become aware of like how much of an impact all of this diet culture and all of that has on my mind and on my emotions and, and, you know, in addition. And so I just remember it was actually when I got the diagnosis of chronic hep C, you know, before then, when I was just struggling with all the symptoms and feeling physically like shit, I, you know, I was very obsessive. I was trying to do whatever I could to feel better and nothing was working. And I just remember I got the diagnosis and, you know, thankfully I got treatment, everything's fine, but it could have been a much different story. And having the realization of like, at the time, you know, I was um, either 19 or 20, having the realization that, um, you know, this could be my life. And I don't know, just realizing that like, all these obsessive health things, all the diets I did, none of it had helped or none of it had prevented this from happening. And I had that realization of like, I think I'd rather have some mental freedom, mental clarity and emotional joy 
than to live in this like prison that I've been living in for years now. And then what's been funny since then is since choosing to live a life that prioritizes mental and emotional health more, if not just the same as physical health, I've then in turn physically never felt better. And that to me, the moment that started to happen, that was what helped cemented that in my mind of like, I physically feel better when I'm first prioritizing mental and emotional health. And that's a much different mindset and perspective to take in life than one that is purely focused on the physical. So I don't, I don't know if that's kind of what you were going at, but that's been my experience with like, yeah, like quitting the diet game in regards to also having like the chronic health struggles and, you know, stuff that still happens. So yeah. how is it like tricky with food? So with food, it got tricky because um, I was experiencing a lot of symptoms, whether, you know, it was um, hormone based or gut based, whichever it was. And it, we did like extensive, intensive testing just to see what was happening. And it was tricky to know, right, that I could follow XYZ, you know, lifestyles, which are, you know, they could still be, di- they're just diets and, you know, in disguise. Um, and knowing that there are certain foods that could have, you know, they could have my thyroid, you know, be flaring, or they could set my gut off, or they could do this. It was hard at first, and at times still is, to know how those foods could interact with my physical body, and yet choose to still enjoy them if I had the mental or emotional craving for them. And it took some time, as well as I like healed my physical body through treatment and everything. But, you know, now there is, it is at the point where I know that XYZ foods do have a, they do have a physical reaction in my body. Like my body definitely does not react to them well, but it is not worth it to me to restrict from those versus like just to enjoy the night, enjoy the moment with friends and have that mental, emotional contentment. And then the next day, maybe I rest a bit more, maybe I drink more water, whatever it is. I've just, it feels good to be at a point now where I'm choosing Um, I'm choosing the moment in life over obsessing over how will this react in my body? How will my body react to this? So, yeah, I love that. I wanted to ask you because a lot of the people I work with, you know, have chronic health conditions, right? Mm -hmm. And I've sort of last summer, I had a lot of health issues and, and I was tinkering around with, it it didn't last very long. I must say, eliminating some stuff. But, um, you know, sometimes like even when my hemorrhoids flared up last week, I was like, oh, maybe I should just, you know, see what foods and blah, blah, blah. And then I just also realized like sometimes chronic health conditions are, they're just so complex, right? Like some of it could be trauma based, right? And some of it could be just how our body is wired and how sensitive we are. I mean, I always remember like breastfeeding and my daughter having like intense skin issues and my doctor, I was like, well, do you think it's this? And do you think it's that? And I'll stop eating this, whatever. Cause I wanted to continue. He's like, so shit could be the grass she's breathing in. Like, we just don't know. Right. And sometimes having joy from food is healing. Pizza is healing. Connection with friends with pizza is healing. It is medicine to the body, right? So 
you know, for anyone that's listening that does have chronic health conditions and you have tried the elimination thing or, or you've tried Xing out foods and it gets really uh, rocky for you because you end up binge eating on these foods or you end up becoming, you know, sort of orthorexic or maybe not even that that diagnosis. Maybe you just have disordered thinking around food or obsession around food. There is another way. Mm-hmm right? There is another way. And there's also another way back, right? The, the foods that you need right now might change in two years. You are going to be in a relationship with food for the rest of your life, right? So I, I think that everybody deserves freedom with food, even people with chronic health conditions. Um, no, Chilean, I think that's where, you know, it's, it's comforting to see more and more people with chronic conditions, you know, entering this field and talking about things. But I think that is truly my still biggest struggle to the day is just, um, yeah, it's, it's having that awareness of how foods might interact with your body yet, you know, being mindful and yet still choosing like when to just live. And yeah, it's, it can be a very tangled web and, um, yeah, it's just, it's something that, is really hard to understand until you're in it, right? Until you're the moment when you're struggling with, you know, whatever it is. And you're just like, fuck, if I, I just want something to fix this. And oftentimes we try to have that be the food or the restriction or whatever it is. And that's just not how things work. No, it's not a magic fix. So, yeah. I'm sorry that you have chronic health conditions. And I, I just want you to know, I, I hear you. Thank you. Thank you. I I'm yeah, it's, you know, one of those blessings in life where it's also brought a lot in. So um, we move with it, but no, I appreciate that. And I just appreciate you sharing so openly today. And this, these are the type of conversations people need to listen into and, you know, resonate in one way or another, just have it spark some thread of thought in their mind. So uh, I appreciate you sharing and being present. And I just love for people to find you and connect with you. You're just such a wonderful human being in general, let alone all the work you're doing. So where can everybody connect? Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. I feel like this has been such a fluid conversation. We could talk for hours about this, but um, I hang out on Instagram and it's just my name, Sociate Alstein. You can sign up for my monthly newsletter. I promise not to spam with crazy <laughs> shit trying to create value over here. Um, and that's just on my website, embodynutrition.com. I also have a podcast called the permission podcast, and, um, you can listen to me there. There's a lot of interesting storytelling. It's not just about wellness, but it's just about a bunch of different, really cool, interesting topics. And I'm sure. Yeah, that's it. That's where people can find me. It's plenty. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome, Emily. Thanks for having me.